0: If you weren't here last week, I told a story about Denny's. I found myself in the back room of a Denny's because I was there because I was told I needed to be there to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. It didn't happen. You can go back and listen to that experience. It's not what I want to focus on today. But there was a question or a statement I did not make, which is, why in the world was I at Denny's searching for The baptism in the Holy Spirit, something I had no idea about. Well, there's an easy answer to that. I was a new believer. I was a Jewish new believer, and I was under the impression, listen, these guys know what they're doing. I'm supposed to follow what they say. They seem to have it going on. So here I am at Denny's. Give me this baptism of the Holy Spirit that's what you do, I'm in. I wanted to, as I said last week, experience God, all of God. I wanted as much of God as I could get. But at the Denny's, something strange happened, because all the people around me were sort of engaging in the sort of classic charismatic Pentecostal baptism, slain, laughing, doing a lot of different things like that. But first off for me, as a young Jewish believer, that was super weird and it was very unsettling to me, but something more significant, much more important. I thought something must be wrong with me. I thought that maybe I was not holy enough or that I was inadequate in some way. I didn't get slain in the spirit. I hate that word. I understand that it's I understand that it is an authentic experience. My grandfather had cancer. He was 74 years old, attended a Methodist church in a little town in Newport News, Virginia. I assure you he had never been prayed to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit or done anything Pentecostal in his entire life. And one time went to a service when he had cancer to be prayed for and fell out because the spirit of God did something there. There are people in this room who've shared those similar experiences to me. So I'm not in any way suggesting that God can't move in ways that God does move that are not, don't make sense to us necessarily. Still don't like the term slain in the spirit. That's weird to me. But anyway, here's what I did because they told me to do it. I went home and literally got in my closet every day because they said you're supposed to have a prayer closet. So I went in there and shut the door and got down on my knees and my face and I began to make sounds. Sounds, just sounds, because that's what they said you do. Make sounds that it's like talking in another language. Okay, that was, that was tongues. That's what they told me to do. So I did it. And it was, it was supposed to be uh, it was sounds that I didn't understand, but God did because it was the Holy Spirit that was supposed to be praying for me. That's what Romans said, something about that, um, that the Holy Spirit will pray for us in our weakness. And so, But think of this. I'm a logical Jewish guy, and I'm thinking, the Holy Spirit's going to pray for me in my weakness. Okay, I believe that. But wait a minute. If I'm too weak or ignorant to make the prayers and the Holy Spirit's doing them for me, then why am I sitting on the floor on my knees making unintelligible sounds for the Holy Spirit to do that? Doesn't the Holy Spirit just do that? So I was confused, but I kept on doing because they said, that's what you do. And I know, and I know, I knew, I know that a lot of people, that is their spiritual practice. It includes the idea of a personal prayer language. I also know that Paul talks about something like this in First Corinthians. Though there is absolutely no way to understand the context of what Paul is really talking about unless you were in Corinth and knew what in the world he was talking about related to a personal prayer language. No matter what explanation you've read or what you think, we don't know the context of what was behind that. But he did talk about a personal prayer language, something. He also talked about tongues and interpretations and all this stuff, okay? So uh, my purpose, plainly stated, I'll probably say it about five times today, is not to speak down to, ridicule, or dismiss anything. It is not my place to dismiss, correct, rebuke someone's practice, their personal experience, unless it's absolutely off the rails. So that's not what I want to do. But there is a challenge. There's a bigger challenge The feeling I had was that I am not complete in my faith because of this. I have not experienced this thing, this this new baptism thing. And I felt inadequate. And that was the beginning of a continuing journey. And I'm going to talk for a little while today because it's important what I'm going to say. So just bear with me. I'll try to keep you awake. That began a journey From a distance at times, because I eventually moved out of any of those kinds of circles into a Baptist church where I attended for a number of years. It was as far away from the baptism of the Holy Spirit as one could go in terms of having that happen. So, from a distance, I observed, but also very, very up close. I was a worship leader. I still am a worship leader. I'll always be a worship leader. What do you learn as a worship leader? First thing you learn pretty quickly is that you wield an unbelievable amount of power over people's emotions. And a Gibson Les Paul and a killer tube amp can prophesy, baby. (laughs) But you really do. And I learned about how to use the energy and the emotion of music. And I will never forget, never forget. Who's, anyone know what hyperhidrosis is? Hyperhidrosis is something I have. Sometimes it manifests for people in a way I'm thankful I don't have, where your armpits are soaking wet no matter what you do. Overactive sweat glands sort of a gross thing. And what in the world does this have to do with anything? Well, my hands and feet. If you shake my hands in August outside, buddy, you are going to know I've got hyperhidrosis. But we had a particularly booming, awesome rock band service this time. And I will never forget this. I stepped down off the stage and two ladies came up to me and shook my hand. My hand was soaking wet. And they turned my hands over and went, oh, look at the oil, the, the anointing, the anointing oil. And I was like, it's sweat. <laughs> I played at IHOP. Anyone know what IHOP is? No, not that international house of prayer why because music was rocking i love music music is great and at ihop which there is, there was some great music. I don't know if IHOP's still around, but they told me, come in, bring your guitar, start playing things, and say the same thing. Come up with something. Let the Spirit drop something in. Lord is great above all names. Lord is great above all names. Lord, And sing it over and over and over and over and over. And what will happen is the Spirit will get into that, And well, because the spirit gave it to you and then the other people that are singing with you, they're going to start singing it and the spirit's going to happen. It's antiphonal worship. That's what they did in the temple. They told me that. So I did that. So when I say I'm not a Pentecostal, I'm not, it does not mean that I do not have experience in these circles and seeing a lot of things and learning a lot of things. And so, today's point is not an assessment of Pentecostal charismatic stuff, because realize we're in week three or four of a five-part series on the Holy Spirit. It culminates in Shavuot, which was the giving of the Holy Spirit. That happens next Sunday. So we're going to conclude this, the Spirit series, Evidence of the Spirit. Today is Gifts of the Spirit. Next week will be Fruits of the Spirit, which is kind of an important conclusion. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Before we talk about what the Spirit is for and how we should hope to be interacting with it, I want to talk to you about what the Spirit is not and what it is not For And how it can be abused and in the process misused can damage people. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? The biggest issue is not the gifts of the spirit. They are real. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, healing, faith, miracles, tongues, discernment, prophecy, the bigger issue and my focus is on the resultant world view of a world centered on the Holy Spirit and operating in the gifts. the resultant worldview, the embedded ways of thinking about God and the world and how our faith functions, and what this has created in our culture and worldwide with millions and millions of people subscribing to these types of beliefs that we have talked about over the last three weeks. And if we're supposed to impact the world, what does that culture communicate to the world that we're trying to reach? Sometimes I assure you it is not communicating the right things and people get hurt. And as the shepherd of a congregation, it is always my job to look out for people who might get hurt in the name of religion. So way later, though, than my Denny's experience, it was actually here at Nechamu Ami, the Messianic Synagogue, as a matter of fact. I had one of the many opportunities to see the impact of the culture I'm talking to you about. A baptism in the Holy Spirit contingency that attended Nechamu Ami, pulled Kelly off to the side one day. Kelly, my co-leading wife, who God called in to lead alongside, and they called her over and they said, Kelly, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And she said, Well. And, and there was a long explanation and discussion, but in the end, this was the conclusion. Kelly, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and if you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need to evaluate your salvation. And Kelly didn't like that very much, probably because it's a lie. But when you're working and laboring for the kingdom and someone comes and tells you you're incomplete, you're not good, you're not holy, God's, you're, you're missing it, that can leave a real bad taste in your mouth. And it did, actually, for Kelly. She didn't go home and cry in the corner, but she said, who are these people? What is this? And we have, well, I'll get to that, but Who's ever heard of something called spiritual warfare? I would think everyone in the room who lives in the United States who's been alive for more than two years has heard of spiritual warfare. If you believe in the Bible, there is no questioning that there are two worlds existing there is a spiritual and a natural. There is the seen and the unseen, the angelic and the demons, the good and the bad, if you will, the evil, the light, the evil and the good, the light and the dark, whatever dualist things you want to contrast. Judaism developed this idea. The Gospels continued it. It's present there. And we see Yeshua interacting in exorcisms, temptations by Satan, demoniacs, demons, all kinds of different things. And this way of thinking was present among the early church fathers and beyond. And strangely, I had an experience even yesterday of some type of spiritual warfare. So, yeah, it's real, but there are problems there are problems when everything becomes that and the idea the spiritual warfare is a is, is it is a central focus for many people's thing with God everything is demons and angels and powers and principalities and you know There's such a fine line between the physical and the spiritual that every single real world problem has a spiritual root. And only the true victory can only be found in defeating, putting Satan under your heel and winning the battle, warring in the spirit. That God is constantly somehow contending with Satan. And the truth is, it's, in this opinion, it's like anyone's game. These supernatural beings, they're engaged in this constant, intense battle over people, over nations, over events, over political parties. Everything is heavenly war, but we're in it. And the good news is, according to this, we have this authority. I once met a lady who told me that she was going down the aisle at Kroger and there was a demon on the end cap. And then another person, there was a demon under their coffee table that they had to contend with. I met a demon once. I was with a man I respect very, very much who had a lot more experience with me, who in the end of it said, that is what it looks like to encounter a person who is possessed by a demon. Let me tell you something you know that you're in the presence of darkness when that happens. And no, I wasn't afraid, but it's weird. But what's our job in this opinion? How do we handle these these ongoing spiritual battles? Well, here's the so-called spirit-filled way to do it. Ready? I'm going to give you some instructions properly phrased legal definitions it's important that the choice of wording and the properly executed legal demands are used you declare things don't ever ask and don't just read out a scripture buddy you declare it to the demon i declare in the name of jesus And you never say things out loud that the demons might hear because then you're going to lose the battle because they have that power. So you don't ever say anything. You don't ever demonstrate any lack of faith or whatever because the demonic force you're entangled with, any wavering in your declaration will remove the authority that said declaration has in this war of the spirit. And sometimes this may manifest in another level of warfare. Deliverance. Anyone ever heard of deliverance ministry? Okay, good. it's It's not possession, but there's some type of attachment to someone, some darkness. Where do they get it? They watched Harry Potter or an R-rated movie or they drink alcohol or something. These are the extreme things. Or there's a family a generational curse or something that the person, it's, 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 they need to be delivered. And, and no, don't think that a change of attitude or behavior is going to fix this. It's got to be dealt with. And how do we deal with it regardless of its issue, addiction, poverty, emotional problems? How's it done? Deliverance ministry, which generally follows the same types of rules. Declare things. Take authority over it. Lay hands. Slay in the spirit. Push back. Just just whatever you do, declare it with authority. Don't ask. You take it. And the demons will be forced to flee. And this transfers into yet another area. Healing, which is an authentic spiritual gift. It is a gift of the Spirit. People possess an actual healing ability. They at least did in Acts, and Yeshua certainly did. Again, again, the words we use are incredibly important. We don't receive a diagnosis. Right. We certainly never acknowledge that out loud. We declare authority over cancer or COVID or whatever it is. I saw a pastor. This is another thing, by the way, but we won't get into prophecy, false prophecy and false prophets and what the Bible says you do with them. But when someone stands up and declares over a, na- a worldwide television audience, I declare COVID dead in the name of Jesus, and then 500,000 people die? Do you know what that's called? Chilul Hashem. That means the desecration of God's name. You have made God to look silly. We declare authority. We command things to happen. And because we have the spirit, they should obey. The problems of the world are all at root spiritual in nature in this viewpoint. But a spirit-filled believer has all he or she needs to defeat whatever enemy is contending. And there are so many other things that I could talk about. But I'm here to give some additional insight in a different direction, some observations, some re of some of these things that when they are practiced can do damage to the kingdom of God and its inhabitants. First, I will make a declaration before you. I declare, I believe in the intense power of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit to move and operate in us, in the world. I believe in the gifts. I believe I've seen miracles of healing, of prophetic words, maybe declarations, words of knowledge, wisdom, people saying things that came to pass, things that they couldn't have known but they did know, astounding demonstrations of faith by people I've known, anointed teachers, anointed musicians, and many, many more who I am convinced were moving in the Spirit because the Spirit was guiding their steps. And most of all, I know that there are depths of the Spirit which we cannot comprehend. Because it is of God. And unfortunately, His ways, for many people it's unfortunate, His ways are higher than yours. Not everyone seems to have a handle on that. There are things about the Spirit that, that, that are so much higher than ours that we'll never, ever know. But here's what I know. From a Jewish perspective, spiritual warfare still exists. But its entire context is framed differently than in Pentecostalism. The angels are not dependent on people to supply them with spiritual power. We are not dualists who think that God and Satan are basically equal but opposite forces. Satan does not pose even the slightest challenge to God. Always remember that. I believe in spiritual warfare, my friend Aaron Eby writes in this book called Gifts of the Spirit. Listen to this. I believe in spiritual warfare, but I am not the hero. I am the battlefield. Angels don't need us to give them power to fight the battles on our behalf that are happening all over the place. They know more about God and the power and the spirit than we will ever know. I believe in spiritual warfare, but I am not the hero. I am the battlefield. These are some of the most profound considerations. There's a danger in considering yourself greater than you are. Possessed of more than what you actually have. Considering yourself as the hero of the story when it is God's power and God's decisions that define the world and everything in it. People can be made. It's it's a danger for you to to for people to perceive of themselves as that, but it is also a even greater, more damaging danger to tell other people that you have it figured out and this is what you need to be doing, when you might not know. People can be made to feel inadequate or defective. I know what that feels like if they don't move in the gifts in a certain way or if they don't experience the thing that they're supposed to experience. Much of what Kelly and I have experienced in these circles is manipulative and strange and weird. We have seen authentic. But what happens eventually is if there's enough manipulation, enough abuse, enough weirdness, enough feeling of inadequacy, you walk away from all of it. And that's a horrendous problem because then you will miss the authentic. You will be so jaded that you miss the authentic move. We've been there. And things like that can hurt people, their faith, their walk. Healing, 17 years ago, my dad was healed from stage four lymphoma, stage four. He was supposed to die, according to that. But he was healed. It wasn't overnight. It wasn't a prayer, at a prayer service, It wasn't being slain in the spirit. It was through a combination of God and chemotherapy. And I know not everyone will like that, but let me tell you something. Because you see, in Judaism, the physical and the spiritual are not so dualistic. They're not so disconnected. Pentecostals tend to manipulate the spiritual war through symbolic acts, blowing a shofar to rift open the heavens that the spirit might come down and other things curing a a, a, in judaism the spiritual world is affected by realities curing a disease through medicine is equally as valid and as effective as receiving a miracle as a matter of fact it is considered miraculous that god gave men the ability to do the things that they can do to heal I've seen many miracles of healing, not as many as Jim Landley, who was here last week, missionary. let talk about a guy moving in the spirit. Uh, many, many years ago, he received his calling and a vision from God to go out to the mission field 25 years later. Thousands, I don't even know how many lives, getting ready to go over to Thailand. He, he had this vision. And I was talking to him about the spirit because the spirit tends to move bigger outside the United States. And I said, Jim, What's up? He goes, you can tell when it's real. That's true. That's true. And Jim has seen healings and all kinds of stuff. I've seen them. And I've also seen a lot of people die. Kelly's dad died of cancer. And I will never forget something Mac Goddard said, his pastor of this, this former church, Grace Christian Fellowship, at Roger's service. I sat here and played a song called Heal Me that we played for my dad. Somebody wrote it for my dad when he had cancer. I played it for Roger. Everybody came together to pray. Nothing, nothing like spirit-filled, just to put a hand on him and say, we love you and we're praying for you. But I'll never forget Mac. Got up and he said, and Mac is old. He wouldn't mind if I said that. He's been in ministry for 45 years and he got up here and he said, Father, God, Roger Miller has cancer. And I know some people are mad at me for saying that because I'm not supposed to say that. But God, I know this. If Roger Miller's healing depends on the words that I say today, some right formulation He's dead already. Father, if you want to heal Roger, either here or there, you will do it. And I trust that. I was there. Well, I wasn't there, thank God. I remember someone telling Kelly's mom, a family member, a spirit-filled family member, who told Kelly's mom after Roger's passing, I'm so sorry for his loss. You know, it could have been different if he had just had the faith. You know, he could still be here. I, I hate it. I'll tell you. Roger Miller had faith. I was sitting on the couch next to him the day he got the second phone phone call from his oncologist who said, Roger, I'm sorry. The cancer is back a second time and there's nothing we can do. And I remember Roger, full of faith, hanging up the phone, With his eyes full up of tears, and he looked and he said, I'm going home. It was never about the right formula or the right words, and he had all the faith he needed. You see, Pentecostals, and that way of thinking, sometimes believe healing is guaranteed. You just have to believe enough. You just got to trust enough. But that hurts people when it doesn't happen. You see, Messianic Judaism also believes healing is guaranteed, but not in this world. We don't get to necessarily control that through our spirit-filled life or words. Someone rebuked me one time for a healing prayer I offered when I said, Father, heal them according to your perfect will. They pulled me off to the side after and said, I was was young. I was new. They pulled me off to the side and said, you don't say that. You declare it. You declare that healing is happening. You don't say that according to his will. God will heal everybody. Now, do you know what I would have said if they said that to me today? Now that I've been, oh, got a much thicker skin, <laughs> I would have said, oh, really? Gosh, I can't imagine a better formulation uh, uh, uh incantation whatever magic words you think i should say i can't imagine anything better than saying god according to your perfect will it is in your hands to do what you will to trust god not some stupid thing Not that it's stupid to pray and have faith and take authority and do all those things, but you can't say stupid things to people and hurt them. I know others in this room, their relatives, came to me after losing a spouse and said, I don't understand it. We prayed. We did all the right things. We attended church. We did all this. He died. Why? I don't understand And so now in confusion about the God who loves her and the God who still has a perfect plan even when people die, God forbid. Deliverance. I've been delivered from a lot of things. One monumentally large thing in my life, and there are a lot of them just behind that. But you know... There are many more things I still need to be delivered from if that means this, repenting from something, reordering my steps, choosing a different path, becoming someone new, asking God. But you know, the thing I think of most is it was not for me a declaration or, or someone laying hands on me or being slain in the Spirit, not that those things cannot result in a supernatural change. I know that they do, But I also know that a lot of people in need of deliverance continue to keep praying for deliverance over and over, and they're constantly coming up to the front of the church to be delivered, and they're going to a new deliverance conference. I talked to Steve. I mentioned Steve last week. I was talking to him this morning. A crackhead, homeless on the streets, made a decision... I am not going to be a 50-year-old crackhead. And he got clean overnight. That's deliverance. I absolutely believe the Spirit of God is moving in that. Without any formula. Without anything from Azusa Street. Not even any oil. Just a declaration. God... Change me and faith. <laughs> Consistent prayer, even when failing, knowing our weakness, wanting to be stronger, to be better, for God to transform. In my life, it took time, longer than I wanted to, longer than I wanted it to take to get free, to get delivered But I did, with God's help. And you know, here's a real difficulty. And I want you all to hear me say this. Sometimes you don't get delivered. Sometimes there are things in life you have to carry. Of all the people in the world, I think, who deserved deliverance, our buddy, Rav Shaul, Paul the Apostle certainly did, didn't he? And you know what he says? What's he say about a thorn? He said, I've begged God to take this away from me that Satan gave me. The exact quote he says is, because of the extraordinary greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. Well, what, what, are, what are the ideas? Well, he had uh, malaria. He had, was blind in one eye. He, He struggled through life. And guess what? God didn't take it away. He asked, why? Because Paul was to remain humble. And this is something God did that kept him humble. I don't understand that. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I delight in weakness for when I am weak, then I am strong according to his perfect will. Many people struggle for years with some things. It doesn't mean deliverance won't come, but it might not. And you, just as Paul, might not know why, but God's still in it. I am not the hero. I am the battlefield. And someone will certainly say to me at somewhere via email, probably no one in here, but I'll probably get an email, buddy, you're leading the people wrong. You're leading them out. Put on the full armor of God, it says, so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And to that I say, amen, brother. Indeed, we should put on the armor of God. What is it? Ephesians 6. What is it? The belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the sandals of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, and the sword of the spirit. There it is. That's what you need, Travis, the sword of the spirit in your armor, your tongues, your prophecy, your deliverance, your healing ministry. It's the word of God. That's the last and most important one. Your armor contains the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What does that mean? I throw Bible verses around. It means that God gave instruction in his word for the way in which you will live and the way in which you will battle against the principalities and powers that would intend to take your butt out but the word of God stands strong and so does all of your armor. That's what that means. And there is spiritual warfare and there is healing and there is deliverance and all of that stuff. So maybe, and I'm ending in a minute. Maybe rather than 150 years of theological perspective from a very influential modern movement that exploded into existence on Azusa Street in 1906, maybe we should take an apostolic view on the spiritual gifts. You think that would be helpful? I do. We should consider a, a Jewish way, lest we forget... The Spirit has been functioning for a long, long time. Before Azusa Street, the Spirit was. Before the Quakers and the Shakers who did ecstatic dance and tongues and all kinds of stuff in the late late 1700s. Before Acts, the Spirit was. The Spirit was before creation. The Spirit was at creation, hovering over the waters. This spirit was empowering David to write beautiful songs. This spirit was empowering Bezazel to build the tabernacle. Even Saul had the spirit and it transformed him. Moses had the spirit and God took a little bit off of him and put it on the elders so that they could prophesy. That's all before anyone spoke in tongues in Los Angeles. We need the Spirit. And here's what David says, a good Holy Spirit-filled dude. Create in me a clean heart, God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. We need the Spirit. We always need the Spirit. Yeshua said it was our gift. It was our seal And you should cry out for the Spirit of God to help you, to lead you, to speak for you. That's a gift. Yeshua gave you that. Yeshua died so that you would have that. (laughs) But you know something? I I really honestly believe many, many times we do know what we need. I know the Spirit speaks for us, but I also know that a lot of times I talk to a lot of people. Irvin's a Ph.D. and counselor. I guarantee you, Irvin meets a lot of people who know exactly what they need, too. We do. The Spirit gives you a function in the natural world as as well as in the supernatural world. We know what we need. We know exactly what to pray for, and you don't need anything special for doing that. And guess what? Big trick. You can do that in English or whatever language it is that you speak. Filipino. And I'm betting you That if you tune in and listen for the response, it might not be audible, but it'll be some way in a language that you can understand. Because how else could it help you? And yes, you might even have to struggle sometimes believing things. You might not always have the perfect formula or the perfect words. You might not always have the perfect life. You might actually watch an R-rated movie. Don't worry. I don't think you're going to get possessed. Just don't listen to Led Zeppelin backwards. You can't get back from that. (laughs) You might not always be able to discern the spirits or move powerfully in the gifts what you might even say one time is God my faith is weak I am wavering I am struggling badly show me I know you're there but I'm having a hard time believing this or that or even you show me well that's a lack of faith you know what that is that's real. That's humanity. That's life. God made you. He understands you. He knows your struggles. He is indeed listening and with you. Lack of faith. It's not, it's not a show. It's not made up. It's real. God made us. It doesn't have to be a supernatural experience or formula or a move of the spirit for God to be in it. Sometimes it's just simply this: knowing that you're a son and he is your father, that you're a daughter and he is your dad, your loving father. And yesterday, as I wrote those words, it happened. I was in my office. And it fell, as they say. And I was just utterly obliterated by the Spirit of God. And I could do it and be it again right now because I sense. And I just wept before God. I don't know why. I do know why. Because he wanted to confirm for me that he was with me and that i should say the things i'm saying and i should be passionate kevin from the counseling center came over and i was had tears streaming down my face and he opens the door to hand me the mail he's like you okay i said man i'm teaching about i'm i'm preaching about the holy spirit And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit showed up to preach to me. And those experiences are really, honestly, pretty rare in ministry. It's like, I love my job. But sometimes it's like. And so I cherish every single moment I get when the Ruach HaKodesh shows up. And you know what I did then? I prayed in the Spirit. It was in English. Maybe probably a little bit of Hebrew in there too. But I prayed by the power of the Spirit. And then I just talked to everybody. I talked to God, the Father. I talked to Yeshua, my Messiah seated at the right hand of God. And I asked the Father, please send the Spirit here today and every day. Always. Always. That we might really function in the gifts. Authentically. Not relying on us to be the hero. But Father, protect us as we battle. Be here. Send your spirit. All we need to do is be available. And that we would see amazing things like we're already actually seeing around here, if you haven't noticed. And you know what? Nobody responded. There was no mystical vision from heaven, no prophetic utterance, no ecstatic worship, no tongues, nothing. But in my spirit, I got it. And sometimes that's more than enough. So next week we'll conclude with the fruits of the spirit. This is what we don't do. This is what it doesn't look like. What does it look like? I'll see you next week. Shabbat shalom.